0: Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Tech, 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 tech talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Gather round kids, for another tech talking story time. Matthew Dickerson's waiting for you in the chair, and his brain is positively bulging at the seams with a load of fascinating news updates for the digital age. And while everyone's making themselves comfortable, Matt, tell us, what distracted you this week?
1: Well, we do talk about scams a fair bit, James. We try and bring some public service announcements to people and just keep them informed and aware. And it's usually stories that are big picture, holistic, stories where we're Mm. just giving people warnings.
0: And it keeps you alert.
1: It does keep you alert, you think and you hope. But I had a story this week where I actually had a, a good discussion with one of our good, friendly gentlemen in blue out there doing great work for our community And part of his job was to look at some of the crimes that impact some of the aged part of our community. And so we talk about these scams and we talk about the generic concepts and maybe the big picture, the millions of dollars that are lost. But this particular policeman told me a story about one incident that he was investigating and it drives it home to me how much it affects each individual that's impacted by this, the dollars and the mental impact this has. And this one was one of those classic Almost grooming situations. This particular lady got a phone call from her bank, in inverted commas, wow. and the bank said, "Hello, Mrs. Got her name right. It appears that you've made a transaction overseas. Is that correct? Have you done any online shopping lately? Have you made a transaction? And it was only a small amount, for fifty dollars, at this particular in this particular country." And she said, "No, no, I haven't. It's, I thought that was the case. It didn't look like regular shopping pattern for you. What I'll do." Is I'll remove that from your account so you never see that appear on your account. So excellent, she was,
0: doing me a service. Oh,
1: absolutely. She was very grateful. That's so wonderful of you. Thank you to my wonderful bank for keeping me up to date and really being vigilant on my behalf. As far as she was concerned, she avoided losing $50. End of the conversation. A couple of days later, another phone call from the same gentleman from the bank again. Now, Mrs. X, we had that conversation a few days ago. That's a really common scam that's happening at the moment. And unfortunately, we caught yours. We haven't been able to catch everyone else's. Would you like to help us catch some of these people Uh. that are scamming people? Oh, oh, yes, yes. Uh. Of course I would. That's terrible that's happening to other people. How can I help? And so this went on for a couple of weeks, leading it down the garden path. The final solution was we're going to set up a couple of other bank accounts. And these are almost like honey trap bank accounts. You'll just transfer some of your money into these several bank accounts and then we'll wait and the scammers will try and get money out of those accounts and then we'll have them and you'll have helped us catch them. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh. How can I help? Well, here are the bank account numbers. Just transfer some amounts and we need to have a reasonable amount. She transferred $9,000 into four separate bank accounts and she would have kept doing it except she was at coffee one day talking to some of her friends. And she told them this wonderful experience she was having with her bank that she was helping to catch these people. And one of her friends was alert enough, maybe they were a Tech Talk listener, and they said, hold on a second, I don't think this sounds legitimate. I think you should pop across the road, visit your bank and just ask if this is something legitimate. Of course, it wasn't the $9,000 is gone and luckily it wasn't a lot more than that but this is the sort of process they just come up with all these intricate yeah. little plans
0: quite incredible preying on the the vulnerable oh yes yeah uh, and just yeah the, the level of effort that goes into it and it might have taken them a couple of weeks as you said but $9,000 is a nice little paycheck
1: and that's for one that's so how many one. other people yeah. were they doing the same thing too so $9,000 this lady but in that couple of week period there might have been five ten twenty who knows so we do talk about the big picture we We do talk about being aware and we talk specifically about some of the schemes that we see. But when this policeman told her that story and just how it hits one individual, she was devastated. $9,000 is still a lot of money. Mm. So even though it might not have been hundreds of thousands that we hear about sometimes or millions for each individual, there are different amounts that are significant for this lady. It was significant. So it just drives it home to me how much it can affect each individual. And that was one story from one lady, talked to me by this policeman. Uh, Be aware out there, be alert.
0: We've all got to be on
1: guard. Absolutely.
0: All right, folks, excuse me while you finish organising all your sandwiches and the thermos of hot tea. Uh, Let me give you a quick peek at what lies ahead of us in the next half hour or so. It looks like there's a couple of stories coming out of the UK as legislation tries valiantly to keep up with the internet. There's some stuff there that's bound to get opinions blaring over the tea and scones. I see that poor old Elon Musk has got some troubles that he can't pay his way out of. And a new material developed by the MIT is stronger than steel and, get this, lighter than plastic. The stuff stuff of comic book fantasy, folks. But let's get cracking with a story fresh out of Hong Kong. Number plate detectors have been catching people speeding, dodging tolls, neglecting their rego for 16 years now, and they're pretty effective at what they do. They tell me it's really hard to outrun the internet, Matt. Well, in Hong Kong, the Green Revolution has caught up and they're now on the lookout for heavy polluters as well. Matt, it was only a matter of time. Only a matter of time, James.
1: Now, people like you and I that are incredibly intelligent and live in regional areas don't really see the problem with heavy polluting vehicles. But of course, we've been to bigger cities than where we live and Mm. we see the pollution and it's it's quite obvious to us when we see that. And when you look at some of the stats, it's quite incredible. If you live in a heavy polluted city or heavily polluted city, your life expectancy from pollution, ignore every other health aspect, your life expectancy from pollution is reduced by 72 days. Quite incredible. Yeah, that's quite incredible. And when there's a whole bunch of data that goes into building that number, but it's all the pollutants and people that die as a direct result of pollution or their health has been affected by pollution. So, yes, we get a gold star for living in a nice, less polluted area. That's it. (laughs) But there's a lot of people, obviously, that live in heavily polluted areas because they're the cities with lots of people. Hong Kong is one of those. Mm. Hong Kong's got a lot of people in a pretty small patch of dirt. Pollution is an issue there. Now, I know what you're going to say, James. You're going to say, well, it's obvious. Tell them all to stop driving those petrol cars spewing (laughs) at all those. Get yourself an EV. Get yourself an EV. I know that's a simple answer and a gold star to you and every one of our listeners who said exactly that. But there's a little bit of a way to go. And so Hong Kong has come up with a concept. They've got 150 sensors they've installed on on on-ramps onto their freeways or motorways, And they're actually using infrared, mainly infrared, and detecting the pollution that's coming out of cars. And when they detect what they're calling a high emitter, a car that's emitting more than it should be or more than the average, it snaps their number plate. That person gets a lovely letter in the mail. Not you've been caught speeding, it's you've been caught polluting. Oh, wow. (laughs) So (laughs) then after you've got that, you've got to go and get your car rectified, repaired, you've got to go through a process, then you've got to have your car pass a test before that car is allowed back on the road. So that seems like a really smart way to go. And some cars, you would imagine, just it's not worth it. Someone goes to their repair outlet and they say, well, it's going to cost you thousand dollars for a new catalytic converter or a new engine because that one's done 200,000 kilometres, whatever it might be. So some people are retiring those cars. So just some of the stats out of the system so far or out of the scheme so far. They've detected 16,365 high-emitting vehicles. Wow. 96.3% of those have been rectified. They've passed the test. They're back on the road. But obviously now, back on the road, being a little bit nicer to the environment, 2.3% of all those didn't worry about doing the repairs. So they're the ones that they just said, not worth it. My car's too old. I'm going to retire it. Or I'm going to send it to a country that likes heavily polluting cars maybe (laughs) maybe we've got those cars in australia now i'm not sure so and the other ones the other (laughs) couple of percent that are missing there are being repaired still so that's quite incredible in terms of the changes there and when we talk about heavily polluting or high emitting cars i can't give any specific numbers around that but the stats that they did provide show that some of the cars that they're picking up are emitting at a rate of about 10 times more than what they deem a threshold level. So they take one of those cars off the road, it's the equivalent of taking 10 10 cars. cars, Yeah. Yeah, So that makes a lot of sense. The other part that I thought was quite incredible was that about 0.5% of all those vehicles that they're testing, that they're analysing the exhaust fumes from, are determined to be high emitters. So if you break it down to be a bit simpler than that, every 200 cars we see on the roads, probably one of those is a high emitter. So yeah, that's a pretty wow. scary stat because you go about your normal day, you see 200 cars pretty easily in a fairly short period of time. So one of those, and sometimes you do see it, sometimes you see a car just driving on beside your you or in front of you and you can see black soot spewing out or you can smell fumes. Yeah. So you think, Gee, that car And you wonder
0: it. how do they get their pink slip. Yeah, that's
1: right, that's right. And I'm not sure the pink slip does a lot of work on... The pollution. It's more about the safety aspects, but maybe yeah, yeah. we should introduce a bit more of that in the pink slip. They've got to get some of those older cars, but more importantly, so this is all great, all very interesting, fascinating. I found from a technical point of view, but has it made any difference to the pollution levels in Hong Kong? And there's a few independent tests that have been done to just test out exactly that. The worst case scenario that I've seen from those tests has been that the roadside pollution, so around the roads, so some of those people that might live near those roads, not on the roads themselves, the pollution has been reduced by roughly 26%. So Mm -hmm. that's not too bad in terms of reducing. That's
0: significant.
1: it, It is, isn't it? That's exactly right. And we're talking about Carbon monoxide. We're talking about uh, nitrogen uh, now. Is it nitrogen oxide that you? Is it the other pollutant that comes out of a car? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, well, nitrogen dioxide. Dioxide. Is a big one. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah. so carbon monoxide, nitrogen dioxide, and you've got particulate matters as well. So, I mentioned before, you've got infrared. They also use ultraviolet beams as well as infrared to detect that pollution. So, they're looking for those three things: nitrogen dioxides, carbon monoxides, mm. and of course, particulate matter. So, all three, mm. they're trying to pick up. I'm actually not sure how they do it with trucks and buses because they'd be aiming it, I'd imagine, fairly low on cars because that's where most exhaust pipes are on cars. With a truck or a bus, sometimes the exhaust might be coming out much higher up. So I don't know if they'd be able to pick it up from there. But when you start to look at global emissions, cars, taxis and buses make up 30 13% 13% of all our greenhouse gas emissions. And then when you go to more developed countries, say the US, for example, you're getting figures as high as 20%. So when people say, oh, well, EVs make any difference or even, will this sort of thing make any difference. Well, you go to somewhere like the US, 20% of greenhouse gases are from vehicles. Mm-hmm. You just... Again, you couldn't do this, but if you suddenly snapped all those to EVs tomorrow, there's 20% reduction, which is quite significant. So when the police say, oh, no, how are we going to meet all these carbon emission reductions we need to meet? Well,
0: here's an idea. Here's an idea. That's right.
1: Yeah, what about some EVs? That (laughs) sounds like a pretty good idea. But I don't mind this as a step along the way, because as much as it'd be easy to say, snap your fingers, everything becomes an EV. It's not going to happen. It's unrealistic. So looking at this to really attack those high emitters makes a lot of sense.
0: Now here's a dilemma for us to consider. What do you do when you're a very high-profile multi-billionaire and some adolescent with a bit of IT talent and a bunch of spare time decides to take up tracking your private jet and posting updates on Twitter as a personal hobby? Well, if you're Elon Musk, you'll offer him a carrot in the form of about $5,000 and hopefully you'll take it and stop being such a royal pain in the bum. Matt, $5,000 is some sweet pocket money, surely.
1: <laughs> I haven't had this problem, James. I haven't had the problem yeah, where people not are tracking my private jet at this stage. But hopefully it doesn't start to become a bit of a trend. But I actually thought this was quite good from this as a 19-year-old student living in Florida. He actually started tracking a bunch of different jets that were significant. So Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, yeah, Elon Musk. Right. What's fascinating to me is that he creates a separate Twitter account for each one. The, one, the Twitter account tracking Elon Musk's jet has 350,000 followers. <laughs> that just seems incredible to me. I've got nothing better to do with my life than watch where Boy, Elon Musk jet is. <laughs> 350,000
0: stalkers.
1: And it's no guarantee that Elon's actually there. I mean, mm. Elon's got a nice little Gulfstream G650ER. It belongs to Elon Musk, but I'm sure he's a bit generous and he's says, hey, James, everything. you want to slip over to Vegas for the weekend? Take my jet. So it might be tracking where you're going for a weekend rather than where Elon is. So as you said... He, he was a bit annoyed about it, and he went, oh, it's probably a bit of a security risk. So he reached out to the student. You'd be pretty excited if you were <laughs> a 19-year-old tracking Elon's jet. <laughs> and he, he reaches out and said, hi there. How are you going, youngster? Oh, I don't really like the idea of you tracking my jet. Maybe a bit of a security risk. Why don't I throw you 5k?
0: Thousand dollars <laughs> A lazy $5,000. That'll yeah, pay some bills for you. That's
1: right. Have a weekend out on me, maybe. And of course... The student, I think well, most 19 year olds would go, okay, Yeah, that's right, happy daddy.
0: <laughs> but he <laughs> didn't. Pot. He okay. said,
1: Elon, if you're going to offer me five, maybe if you just chuck the zero on, give me 50. If you give me 50, I'll go away for you. And Elon wasn't that impressed with that. And now he's changed <laughs> his tune further and he actually said, I don't want 50 now. I just want. A Tesla. He Can said, you give me a Tesla?
0: <laughs> this is too fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's now, a Tesla worth of fun. That's right.
1: As it turns out, Elon went, no, I've had enough fun with this, so he's blocked him now, so he doesn't answer any more of his requests. But this particular kid has gone around the media circuit. He's been talking to New York Times, a whole range of places. He's got T-shirts out. He's got online ads running from his Twitter account. So he's probably making he more than his 50 that money, grand. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Out of tracking airlines jets. So, it's commonly available Thank in for your
0: generous offer, (laughs) but I've had a better one from the New York Times. (laughs) Well,
1: now that I've got some publicity out of this, but all these jets, I mean, everything's every commercial jet, every commercial, but also major private jets have got transponders on them. So they can be tracked fairly easily. What he's done is just taken the information that's out there publicly available, worked out who owns particular planes, and then Mm. made it a nice graphical format. So he's done quite well from a technical point of view. Mm. But it's nothing stopping anyone else doing it. And I think from Elon's perspective, you think, well, if this kid gets 50 grand... The next one's going to go yeah. and do the same thing. There's nothing stopping. There's nothing special this kid did that someone else couldn't do with some skills. So he probably went, no, nah, do I don't want to be held to ransom by every kid out there. Yeah. He'd probably be smart. Well, there might be just,
0: incentive to go start taking commercial flights, perhaps, <laughs> and reducing your, your, your carbon, carbon footprint. footprint. I did think that, James. Yeah, a little I bit think less that. environmental vandalism, perhaps, Elon. Yeah. Or just register the
1: name in some other company that's not yeah, related to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe do that. But anyway, it's interesting what people get up to. Uh, Poor old Elon, you know, I feel sorry for the guy, people tracking where he is. Uh, I think he's over it at the moment, but maybe you're right. Maybe go and just book him some commercials. It just seems
0: like an interesting way to use your spare time. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? (laughs) I just thought I'd track this guy's private plane. (laughs) Here's some good news for consumers that could go a long way to changing the current rate of EV sales in Australia. What we need is an EV manufacturer with a bit of entrepreneurial chutzpah, how's that for a word, to lure the tentative Aussie car buyer and make things more affordable for them. Well, enter China's new EV maker, BYD. Matthew, is it fair to say these guys are a game changer?
1: Well, before we do that, can you tell me how to spell that word, please?
0: <laughs> I gave it three H's. Okay, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Any word that's
1: got three H's at the beginning be going to roll off that's the tongue, th- is yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so BYD stands for Build Your Dreams, and that's exactly what they're trying to do with this Chinese brand. Now, when people hear, oh, no, it's a Chinese brand, well, if you think about it, you're using so many things in your day-to-day life that are probably made in China. It mm. just seems to be maybe some people that have got vested interest in products that aren't made in China to build this big thing against China. Even Teslas now that we get in Australia, so a good old American brand, mm. Tesla, the specifications are created in America, but there's a Chinese manufacturing plant now. So most Teslas, in fact, I think all Tesla Model 3s that we're getting in Australia right now are all built in China. Mm. So there, were, there was a, a time where you got a Model 3 that wasn't built in China. Now the Model 3s are built in China. We seem okay with those, so why wouldn't we be okay with BYD? And I've heard that same criticism of the MG. So the MG EV was the number two seller last year behind the Tesla. Again, people say, oh, no, it's a Chinese-made MG. Well, that's okay, I think. And if it changes the game for us, if it reduces the prices and gets more people into them, then I think that's okay.
0: You've got to have something to stimulate the market.
1: You have, and they've still got to pass Australia's standards. So it's not like they can build some shonky vehicle, send it over here, and the Australian authorities go, oh well we won't check that we won't make sure mm. that it passes all the tests that it's got to pass it's still going to go through a process to pass those tests so at the moment the cheapest EV in Australia is the MG ZS EV it's 43,990 driveway so mm. that's getting there, it's yeah, getting down it's there a bit. still
0: up there for, too far up there for a lot of consumers.
1: You're right, so it's, it's still a bit dear. What BYD have got their first one they'll come out with, and this will be on our shores this month, so it's pretty oh, wow. exciting. Yeah, so it's we're not talking about way down the track, we're talking about this month. It's the One Plus, Y-U-A-N Plus. It's an SUV, because they figured that SUVs what everyone wants for some reason, they'll never take it out in the dirt, <laughs> but they need an SUV. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be under $40,000, and left 500 kilometres of range. Oh, wow. Now, I know people get excited when I tell them how fast my car can get from zero to 100, but the second question they always ask is... What's the yeah, range? So the go. range is really important. So five hundred K's of range for under forty grand, to me, I think there'll be some people who'll say, Yeah, now we're talking.
0: But we need to qualify that. Five hundred, you're not gonna run it to five hundred kilometres and run the battery dry and then charge it up. You run it to three fifty or four hundred, give it a top up, and then you get another three hundred K's out of it on top of that. So you end up going seven hundred or even eight hundred kilometres.
1: Yeah, and most people that's exactly what they do. The same was with petrol. When you drive your car, if you can get five hundred Ks of range out of your petrol tank. You don't go. Oh, good, the lights on now. I probably should be able to get another fifty to
0: Start thinking about yeah,
1: the and the next town's forty k's away. So I should be able to get there. Most people fill up their tank before it's dead empty, and you do the same with electric vehicles. Yeah, the crucial part is when people see the range. The first thing they think of is where I live. Where could I get to? Oh, yeah, that range is enough to get me from. If they live in Sydney, can I get yep. to Canberra, for example? If I live in Melbourne, can I get to Sydney, for example? I mean, how far do they want to go? But you yeah. also need have a break you want to be driving that's along right. we've got this whole thing in Australia with driver reviver where people are encouraged to take a break they're encouraged to stop how long will it be before some of those driver reviver stops are put out places where you've got EV chargers yeah. grab a cup of coffee while you charge up so anyway off track a little bit there sorry but under 40 grand pretty exciting they've also got a hatchback a little EA1 hatchback now that's not going to be here at the same time as an SUV but it won't be too far away I'm talking a couple of months here that'll be under 30 grand so wow. to get a little. Hatchback, BYD hatchback under thirty. Then people are starting to say, "Hold on, now that's getting pretty serious." The Corolla, as we know, is a very popular car in Australia. That sort of smaller car. And when we talk about the range, we mentioned the 500k range there on the One Plus. Most people will drive about. 30 or 40 k's in their average day. So they don't really need 500 k range except for that once a year trip. But mm. most people, and the hatchback, I don't know the exact range of the hatchback, but again, they're focusing on trying to get that range where people can get excited mm. about it. So I imagine it'll still be impressive got range. got to imagine
0: it's a lighter car. Exactly sucking right. Sucking less power. Yeah.
1: Mm. So it'll still have reasonable range. But again, if you were living in a big city where you did have a 20 or 30 kilometre commute to work each day, even if it's 60 kilometres over the day, You don't need 500 kilometres of range. You need 200 or 300 kilometres of range. Mm. And as we've said here many times before, it's really the two-car families or more that I would say absolutely you should be changing one of those over because one of those typically would be run around, pick up kids, do the shopping, just the the normal run around. And the other one might be a bit bigger where you take that on the family trips. That's fine.
0: And, and the other thing you, you make a point of previously is uh, that the the running costs for these things. So if you pay 40000 know, forty thousand or less for this, then your yearly running costs, the maintenance and you know the, the topping up and whatnot, uh, you know, say petrol costs, but but electricity costs. Yeah, your running costs are much less as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So just
1: to make sure they get past any of those issues that people have, they're trying to address range anxiety and the upfront cost. They've actually also got a, a partnership with a company where they've got $500 million in finance. This is BYD. They've got $500 million in finance. So they can basically give people a vehicle, zero deposit, low interest rates, because let's face it, interest rates are low at the moment. Mm. So someone that says, oh, it's still a bit dear. I don't want to pay 40000 or just under 40000 for an SUV. I can buy another one a bit cheaper than that. Then they'll have the option to say, well, you can just finance that, very low interest rate. Hmm. Then you start to look at the monthly cost. And then when you say, oh, hold on, I don't need to fill that with petrol. Petrol is almost $2 a litre. Then you start to do the calculations and it makes it easier If you're not having to fork out that chunk of change, if it's just a monthly fee and then no petrol costs, Mm. you start to think, hmm, maybe this is pretty attractive here. And if you got keen about it, there's lots of places you can charge up your car for free. But even if you charge it up at home, it's significantly cheaper than putting petrol into it. So it's a bit of a game changer. I I, I agree with you. It is a real game changer. Maybe then our 1.95% of EVs that we sold last year starts to go up quite dramatically. And then maybe, and this is the the catch-22 which comes first, Maybe then other manufacturers say, oh look at that, Aussies do like EVs. Yeah. We'll start to send our start, Volkswagen ID threes and ID fours there, and then they come in and then sales go up and then it just is a
0: Snowballing effect. Snowball effect. That's the one. There you have it, folks. The list of excuses is getting thinner and thinner. <laughs> Here's some news, a bit of a speed bump for some English adolescents. New internet safety laws in the UK will require porn sites in the country to verify that consumers are over 18. Matt, as I reimagine myself as an inquisitive 14-year-old, there are aspects of this plan that make this seem like a little more than an idle afternoon's challenge. (laughs) Like hiding Tim Tams on the top shelf of the pantry, perhaps. But, uh, yeah, there's more to it than that, I presume?
1: I think so. It's quite interesting. Studies in the UK show that half of 11- to 13-year-olds, so forget about your 14-year-old self, half of 11- to 13-year-olds have seen online pornography. Now, wow. they didn't go into detail in the survey to say how was it their big brother, did their father come along, who knows. Mm. But I would guess that most of those just went online by themselves. Yep. They probably didn't have anyone else except maybe some other 11- to 13-year-olds in the room with them when they were listening to
0: Just a bit of quiet time and, <laughs> yeah, right. and a loose and internet the, connection. And
1: the inquisitive mind. So... The sites will be required by law to actually prove that you are 18 years of age or over. Now, that'll be Hmm. via, for example... A credit card that you might own because you can't have a credit card when you're under 18.
0: Or you can just flog one out of your dad's wallet. <laughs> well, possibly.
1: And, and I right. suppose it does come down to parents actually doing the right thing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or driver's license or there'll be some third-party services that will provide this service so you can prove to a third-party service that you're over 18 and then via that third-party service, you can then go and use that authentication method to show that you're over 18. Now, I can imagine that there are some people in the pornography industry who aren't very happy about this. Not that they're trying to corrupt young minds, Mm. but it would also make it a bit harder... For an over-18. For anyone else. Yeah. yeah, so they're probably saying, well, we don't want to show pornography to young people. Of course, that's what they would say, but I think just because you've got extra steps involved, if someone clicks on a site and then it says, prove your age, over-18, show us driver's license, credit card, et cetera, people go, "Oh, not really sure if I want to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I know how they used to do it like in the old days. I don't want to talk about the, the late 90s here, that I actually knew someone, um, and they kept going into their mother to ask them these really odd questions about, you know, Buddy Holly or things that only old people would know. And the parent got a little bit inquisitive. And when they sprung the kid... (laughs) They'd been, yeah, they'd accessed a porn site, right. and the way of protecting the porn site was just to ask these odd questions, to which the kid just went in and just asked it of their parent. They <laughs> happily obliged the four or five questions that had to be answered. It would be quite and interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had, uh, yeah, Old City.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, the other part I think that's interesting is that when you've got some of these services that will prove that someone's over 18, the main reason they'd be using that is so that they can get onto porn sites. So the other concern is that then you've got a database that would have to be very well protected because you've got a database that if it was leaked or hacked, you've got a bunch of people who want to access oh, pornography, which yeah. would be very valuable to people out there in the pornography industry. Or it might be just used to embarrass people when you've got a, a prime minister or a minister of some yeah. description who suddenly is on this pornography site. Why, Mr. Minister... Are you on this particular site that has to prove that you're over it in? Why are you using that site? Mm, Happy
0: blackmail. <laughs> exactly right.
1: So few hairs to get around on that, but I think the general concept makes sense. Let's try and protect the kids from things that maybe you need to be 18 to see. So how mm. you do that, that's always a
0: risk. One of the key tools in limiting the spread of COVID is in early detection and isolation. A positive rat could be too late considering that we may be infectious without symptoms, But how about this, folks? Some health apps are now picking up COVID infections even before a rat does. Matt, how does this work?
1: I have actually said, James, to anyone that has asked me or anyone that's cared to listen to what I've been saying, that I think the huge growth we'll see, the next growth phase in technology is all around health devices. So that might be our watch. That might be things that we plug into ourselves. That might be things that monitor a whole range of things. I hadn't thought of this, to be honest. I Mm. just thought health things, health devices, are really taking off. Now, this one example, the first example that I saw here was a lady who was trying to become pregnant. She was tracking her cycle, and she was using a fertility tracking app and her watch to monitor things like her body temperature, and that was going along on a cycle, and so she would say when she was most likely to become pregnant and then tap on her husband's shoulder, I assume, and away they'd go. <laughs> so, don't get too much detail there, <laughs> but, but one of the times the actual app that she was using gave her a warning that her temperature seemed to be higher than normal and it didn't seem to be in line with her cycle. cycle. So it was a bit of a warning. Something's going wrong here. You've got a temperature. Go and make sure that you're okay. And she didn't really think much of it. She hadn't had any symptoms of COVID, for example. It wasn't the first thing she thought of. But then she went, well, maybe it is COVID. I'll go and do a rat test. And sure enough, rat test, sorry, I shouldn't say rat test. Go and do a rat. (laughs) An ATM machine. Thank you, thank you. I'll go and do a rat. And she did that and lo and behold, It was positive. Now, she wouldn't have gone and done that rat. She wouldn't have thought that she had COVID because there were no symptoms there. But obviously then she could isolate and make sure other people around her weren't infected. So that was one example. There was another example of a, a male this time who was just using a watch just to track various health aspects of himself. And the same sort of thing happened. Temperature was going up. Your temperature's high. An app told him that he should be looking at his health. Hmm, that seems strange, I wonder why. And of course, again, went and did the rat and it showed wow. that it was positive to COVID. So the fact that it can pick up some of these things before COVID or before a test is done is quite incredible. You think about things like your respiratory rate, think about things like how hard you might work on a workout. So yeah. that was another gentleman who was doing his normal daily run or normal workout. And one of the times he did that, the actual his heart rate doing the same workout was much higher than normal. And his health app said to him, I think you need to take a rest. There's something wrong here. Maybe go and see a doctor. And he went, oh, that's a bit strange. And then, of course, did a rat. And next thing you know, found that he had COVID. So there's lots of these little yeah, examples God. there where other information is being fed in, things that you don't necessarily think of at first, and you're not doing specifically for COVID but lo and behold, we've seen this data. So how many other ways, we'll get past this pandemic one day, how many other ways can these devices be used to track our health?
0: So um, we're going to see shares go up in Strava and Garmin and all those well, I think
1: Yeah, I think they are at the moment. I think that is a real area. And we keep seeing more and more from our watches, from our health devices, and other things you can plug in. So I haven't seen a watch yet, and I say yet because who knows what they'll come up with, that can do blood pressure, for example. But there are devices you can get for the home that you will put on your arm, and they'll do a blood pressure test electronically and then feed the information back into your app. So it's getting easier and easier to drag all this health information out. Put an asterisk next to all of this, James. Always see your health professionals. Don't rely on Dr. Google (laughs) to solve your health problems. But these things can be an indicator. I think that's a really important thing
0: here. The days of the unaccountable internet troll are numbered, folks. We've known about the damage they can do to the vulnerable on social media for some time now. But out of the UK again, they've been a bit busy lately, comes the heavy legislation to bring accountability to, to tweeters who want to shoot from the hip. Matt, are trolls really now looking to do jail time in the UK? Is
1: that for real? That's for real. Section 127 of the Communications Act makes it an offence to send public messages of a grossly offensive or of an indecent, obscene or menacing character. Now, Section 127... Mic drop right there. (laughs) That's right. Section 127 has been around a lot longer than Twitter. So they weren't thinking about social media ah. when they created Section One Two Seven of the Communications Act. It was and more about the
0: trolls. weren't thinking about Section One Two Seven. No, exactly right.
1: It was more about sending letters in the mail. It was more yeah. about making phone calls, ringing you up and abusing you on the phone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But now we've got this wonderful social media where people do put all sorts of ridiculous things on there. And there was an example recently of a 36-year-old who's just been convicted under this act, awaiting sentencing as we speak. But there was a gentleman you might have seen in the news... He was a returned serviceman. He he celebrated his 100th birthday. And as a fundraiser, he did 100 laps on his walking frame around the aged care facility. Yeah, that was quite famous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he seemed like a a lovely gentleman, Captain Sir Tom Moore. Tom Moore, yeah, that's
0: right. Now, he died,
1: unfortunately. And when you get to the age of 100, you probably think your days are numbered. But this idiot put up a tweet that said, the only good Brit soldier is a dead one. Mm. So not a very nice thing to say. Mm. And for most people, they'd either be offended by it or they go, that guy's an idiot. But someone said, hold on, I think that contravenes section 127. Oh, wow. The critical part here is if the tweet is just offensive, which I find that offensive, if the tweet is offensive, you're not going to get convicted. It's got to be grossly offensive mm. the difference between grossly offensive and offensive i don't know i'm not a solicitor mm. but this one was deemed to be grossly offensive
0: well captain sir thomas moore he was put up as a real hero of the nation mm.
1: so saying that about him is probably grossly offensive and that's what the court ruled now so this particular person i won't mention his name the person that i don't want to give him any infamy for his acts yeah. uh, he's been convicted under that and now awaits sentencing i don't think he'll go to jail for the first offense But the possibility is there that you can go to jail in Section 127. Now, when you start to look at the data, some of the stats from England and Wales show that 1,423 individuals have been found guilty under Section 127 in one year.
0: So <laughs> that's right. quite
1: incredible. Yeah, okay. Uh, now, I don't know how many of those have gone to jail. I would suggest probably zero of those. But they've obviously been at least fined, and they've now got a criminal record. So yeah. you're a, a young student and you go and put some stuff out there. You go apply for a job, they go, sorry, sir, you've got a criminal record. We, we can't employ you. Or you start to drop down the employable list when you've suddenly got a criminal record. Uh, again, is it too drastic? Just for freedom of speech, there might be some arguments in the other way, but maybe just makes people think about it before they go and put some stupid stuff up there. Yeah. I'm all for freedom of speech and having an opinion, but just saying things like that about someone who was... From all reports, a very nice gentleman.
0: That's probably right. doesn't
1: seem that nice.
0: Yeah, and and that goes a little bit beyond uh, opinion. That's that's more like just trying to stir up a storm, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's right. And coming back to that that's old it. thing, James, if you just be nice to each other, yeah. it's probably nothing okay.
0: Nice to say, then. <laughs> that's
1: right. Yep, I I learned. I remember my my principal in second class made that a very big point to a, a school assembly one day. If you got nothing nice to say, then just, just say nothing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Got to remember the old days in that count. Okay. Further on the front of supporting improvements for mental health, we bring you news that Lifeline are improving their counselling service by introducing a 24-7 texting option. Matt, this represents a real step forward in recognising that people in tough personal situations just often need a broad range of options.
1: Well, the thing is that you're always trying to communicate with someone in the way that they want to communicate. Lifeline has been around for a long time. They've offered a wonderful telephone service where people Mm. can ring up anonymously and just talk about whatever problems, whatever issues, and the people taking those phone calls are volunteers. And I've been involved in some Lifeline fundraisers, and I've gone and spoken to volunteers Mm. who are there working on the front line, and they are doing a wonderful job. But we've got a group of people now, as they've been growing up, who don't tend to talk that much. They tend to use their thumbs rather than their mouth when they're communicating. And that's okay, but Lifeline in the past was a phone call service. So mm. they've been trialing a text service for a limited number of hours per day to see if anyone would use it. And the one that really came home to them was on New Year's Day this year, 3,726 phone calls were received by Lifeline on New Year's Day. But in the limited space they had, the number of hours, limited number of hours they had for texting, 609 digital contacts were made with people or with the Lifeline operators via text, and also they had a web chat service. So Lifeline said, wow, we've got this only available for a period of the day, but still look at how many contacts we had via that. They managed to get some government funding, and they've now got the service that's 24 hours a day texting. And it's a different market. The people that are using this text service are typically under 24 and uh, or actually 70% of them are under the age of 29, but typically around the age of 24. Mm. And often, surprisingly enough, they're more female than male that would want to use texting. Not sure why that is, but that's just the data that's coming through from Lifeline. But the other interesting thing about it is, I think, is the real challenge for Lifeline now is the operators. The operators are volunteers. Many of those volunteers are a bit older, and suddenly they've got to try and oh, work yeah. out how to communicate via text because they've grown up communicating via voice. Yeah. And one of the things that you and I know is that when you send messages via text, sometimes you lose the tone. You can yeah. say things to someone via text where you mean something in, in a nice, simple way. And once someone reads it without hearing the tone of your voice, suddenly they go, oh, I didn't like what James said to me then. It was a bit rude what he said. And then you read back and go, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I meant it this way. Oh, yeah. oh sorry about that. But you can imagine if someone's on edge, if someone's vulnerable – and they get a text back where the tone isn't quite correct, then that can be incredibly dangerous. So a lot of the training that Lifeline's been doing has been training some of these operators on how to text with empathy. And so that would be a real challenge.
0: Back off from all caps, folks. And um, LOL (laughs) does not mean lots of love. No, no, that's
1: right. (laughs) So that's a real challenge for them. But look, if you are feeling like you need this service... 0477 131114. So they've made it nice and easy. That's the text number because the normal phone number is 131114. So they've kept the same phone number, put 0477 in front of it. You can use that text service. But well done to Lifeline. Moving with the times, yeah, incredibly fantastic, important.
0: Fantastic piece of initiative right there. Now, students sometimes ask me how they can make good money as a scientist. The answer is sadly that there's only one Tony Stark and he's in a comic book. But material science is a rapidly growing field and a lot of potential for a budding scientist to cash in with a well-placed patent. Matt, MIT engineers have just produced a material that is stronger than steel and lighter than plastic, putting an end to the strength versus the weight trade-off for manufacturers and builders alike. Wow, this is a big one.
1: And as much as I say... Health is the next big game changer in technology. I know you've said before that material science, giving some kids advice about where do they go in science? Material science. And this is just another example of that. Now, the technicalities of it are quite interesting. Engineers believe that this concept they've come up with was impossible. Theoretically, they believed that they could grow a polymer two-dimensionally rather than polymers normally grow one-dimensionally like spaghetti yeah. if you like yeah. which I suppose spaghetti still has got two dimensions but it's mainly grown in one oh, dimension. We will
0: nitpick there but yeah, <laughs> yeah right. we know
1: what you mean. So polymers were growing in one dimension and then they'd stitch it together as a plastic and so that gave it its lightweight, but not the strength. It was always dreamed that maybe one day we could grow this polymer in two dimensions and then we'd have something really strong and then you'd effectively stitch the sheets together to give you the, the build-up of the actual body the, the three-dimensional object. And... Sure, they'd sit around, engineers would sit around pubs and joke about two-dimensional polymers. (laughs) Just imagine, oh, wouldn't that be good? Well, engineers at MIT have managed to do exactly that. They've created a two-dimensional polymer and then they stitch that together. So you do exactly, as you said, create effectively a plastic that's light, but the strength of it is like steel. So the first thing you think of, well, that's great. Maybe I could put that on my mobile phone. I could make my phone really strong. Maybe I could buy a case for my phone that's really strong and still nice and light. don't have to carry something around really heavy. But why limit it to things of that size? Mm. Why not build bridges out of it? Now, you can imagine yeah. the first person who said, right, I'm going to drive across bridge <laughs> bridges made of plastic. <laughs> oh, Is that going to be okay? <laughs> but if you've got those... Components behind. If you've got science behind it, and you can demonstrate that this is just as strong as steel but lighter, then obviously you can start to build some incredible structures. And I can't even dream of what you could build. Well, at the you moment. think
0: about the roof that goes over a football stadium, yeah, or it, even you know it was a bit smaller scale. Westfield Shopping Centre has got those big open areas that have got that are undercover, they've got this roof. To put a span like that together is amazing, mm. but enormously heavy as well because of the steel that they've got to use in the support structures. So, yeah, you look a bit closer and sometimes you can actually see the support structures that they try to, and the architects try to meld that into to the design. Um, yeah, to get those those really uh, arching, hanging structures um, to, to stay up That's an amazing feat of engineering. It is. Uh, And this could change that enormously.
1: Yeah, and I know you're saying architects often try and expose some of that structure. So you can see these Mm -hmm. huge I-beams or sometimes circular beams that they put up and try and make it pretty. But really, it's just there as big, massive beams to hold up the whole structure. As an added bonus, it's also impermeable to gases. Mm. So you can build structures, whereas polymers, plastics sometimes do leak gases. They're okay, yeah. but they're not perfect. But these are very good in terms of containing gases. So it sounds like a wonder material, which means it's incredibly expensive. But no, the manufacturing of this is still quite reasonable. So I think we will see some things built out of this good price, nice and strong, lightweight, lightweight. Abundant materials, hello, the yeah. rest of the world, the manufacturing world is going to change.
0: Well, I wonder if Lockheed Martin are going to be interested and in start building military stuff like armour and, and body armour and things because Kevlar still is reasonably heavy. Yeah. Uh, anyone who's had to wear a bulletproof vest, and I hope you haven't, folks. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, they're still quite heavy sort of things. So, yeah, that, that, that's another thing that could, um, yeah, they could be using it for military.
1: All yes. sorts of applications. The applications to me, I just start running through how you can build better cars. I said better bridges, better mm. buildings. You, you just wonder where it will stop. So, anyone out there that's got shares in iron ore or steel or factories,
0: Gina <laughs> Reinhardt, <laughs> what are you going to do about this?
1: Yeah, you've always going to be looking towards the future. So, two DPA hyphen one, two DPA one is what this is called. This particular material. So, keep an ear out for that in the future.
0: Now, I wonder how many of our listeners are now using their phones for their tap and pay features. If you're still to make that jump, I sympathise with your hesitancy. I only made the change recently and overnight, my wallet was rendered obsolete. My wife found it in a bag in the laundry the other day with all the cards and all still in it. Honestly, I had no idea. I hadn't even missed it. Well, transferring cash just got a little easier now that Apple's tap to pay feature will now also accept payments. Matt. Having cold, hard cash to pay the kids' pocket money has been problematic in the past. This is going to make it easier, but I'll confess, it's still going to be something to get my head around, though.
1: (laughs) Well, it even goes further than that, James. So we've just said get out of your shares in any steel manufacturing processes that might be out there, (laughs) if you've got shares in Square, the Square Readers, then I would say, get out of those as well, because you go along to markets, for example, and you get people who are running those markets. In the past, it was all a bit expensive or problematic to go and get an FPOS machine from the bank, so Square Reader became very popular. Oh yeah, yeah. Hook up your Square Reader. I know when you go along to markets and you go to buy something, they normally spend five minutes trying to make the Square Reader get connected to their phone, (laughs) and then away they go, and they can finally get it working, or they hand it over to me and say, can you make these two things talk? together and then I can take (laughs) your money off you. And so that's been quite an effective way for people to take money from those processes. But this now will basically render a Square Reader completely useless because you won't need it because Apple will have the ability to take those payments directly on the phone. Now, it's not a new phone you've got to go and buy, as long as you've got a relatively recent phone. So if you've got an iPhone, XS or later, so that's been the last few years we're talking about. There, if Mm. you've got an old six or a seven or an eight, it won't work, but an XS isn't that or is a few years old. So, if you've got an XS or an 11 or a 12 or a 13, it will work on all of those once the new iOS comes out. And we're only talking about potentially a month, maybe not even a month away, before the new iOS will be released. And you'll then be able to set up that. Now, why is Apple doing this? Apple's keen to change their business model a bit where they just take a little bit of money off all of us every single month. And if you start being a merchant that's starting to take payments, obviously Apple just takes their little bit of a merchant fee off it. They like that model... Coming up with new phones or new devices to sell people all the time is a tough business model. Mm. But when you're starting to just take a little bit, just a little bit off every transaction, legally, I'm not talking about some scam where you're doing (laughs) that, but when you're doing that off every transaction, a bit like they've changed their iTunes model from buying a song to now going and just paying a monthly fee to have access to all songs, that seems to be where many companies are trying to head down that path, where they want to be able to just take a little bit off everyone and that creates a very good business model. And I think this is part of that business model as well. When you take those little payments, rather than Square taking a little bit of that commission or a little percentage of that transaction, Apple will be able to take a little percentage of that transaction. So that's going to be happening. And now you won't need to be mucking around trying to get that Square reader hooked up. It'll just be hold your phone out, tap, away you go.
0: And the whole transaction of pocket money (laughs) becomes a little bit more efficient. I don't have to duck down to the ATM. (laughs) That's right. All right, folks, I'm calling it there. Pack up your picnic rug. It's time to move on before the mozzies arrive. Matt, I'm off to do a surprise check on my son's internet history. Thanks for another cracking tech talk, though.
1: I hope you find nothing of any interest there, James. So do I.
0: (laughs) All right. Now, thanks again for tuning in, listeners. I'm James Eddy, and I look forward to chewing your ear again next week. But don't forget for your homework to rummage around on the site for a like button, maybe nudge the subscribe feature, or even leave a comment, good, bad or otherwise. Love a bit of feedback. Thanks again, folks.